But we've been uh, looking at the Gospel of John. We're in John chapter 3, and uh, we're going to finish the third chapter of John today, but we'll begin reading in verse 22 in just a minute. But uh, if I were to ask you this question, who was the greatest prophet, the greatest preacher, the greatest person that ever lived other than Jesus uh, in the old dispensation, the old covenant, who would it be? You got it right. John the baptizer, John the Baptist. I guess that's why we have so many Johns in the world today. John is such a wonderful name. We have a uh, uh, we've got three Johns right here on this one, almost on the same row right here. And then we've got fourth John back here in the back. So we've got first, second, third, and fourth John. Any other Johns? we have any other Johns in the church besides those four? It's a very common name, very popular name, because John the Baptist, according to Luke chapter 7, I think it's verse 28, Jesus himself said, uh, of those born of woman, there was none greater than John the Baptist. And yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Isn't that amazing? Up until the time of Jesus, Jesus said, nobody, Moses, Isaiah, David, nobody was greater than John the Baptist. But, if you're in the kingdom of God, you are, you have privileges that John didn't have. You are greater than John the Baptist. That's pretty amazing. Now, I, I could do a whole sermon just on that phrase right there, but, uh, but it's, uh, it's humbling to know that when God saved you, he placed you in his kingdom, and in that kingdom... He says, you have position and privilege and authority greater than John the Baptist, who was greater than anyone who had been born up to that time. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Okay. So uh, John chapter 3, beginning in verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them, and he was baptizing. So uh, it's pretty. I, you know, I don't. I don't ever think of Jesus baptizing anybody, but here it says that there were people that he was actually baptizing, and John also was baptizing at Anon near Salem, because water was plentiful there. And by the way. To me, that's one indication that the proper mode, biblically, of baptism is one that requires a lot of water. Not just a cup full or not just a sprinkle, but an immersion. And so we had a baptism last Sunday, and uh, we had plenty of water because it requires a lot of water to actually put somebody under the water and lift them up out of the water, Right? All right, so uh, uh, John, so Jesus was baptizing. He was, uh, and John was also baptizing because this was before John had been put in prison. And uh, 
And then something happens then. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, in other words, talking about Jesus, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. He said, you know, you were, you were really in the limelight here for a long time. Everybody was talking about you. And now, as soon as you point to Jesus and say, look, he's the one who takes away the sin of the world, and now he's baptizing, just like you've been baptizing, but the crowds are leaving you, and they're going to him. That's a pretty good test for anybody, isn't it? It's a good test for any minister. And uh, John answered, and he said, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given him from heaven. He says, so don't, don't think that somehow or another you're going to create some kind of jealousy or comp- competitive spirit between me and Jesus. No, he said, I, uh, I, anything that I have, I've received. And God has given me a certain ministry for a certain time. And now, if the crowds are going to Jesus, he said, I'm not jealous about that. I'm not upset about that. In fact, I am thankful for that. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. And the friend of the bridegroom, or we might say today the best man at the wedding, who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. And then he makes this great statement. He must increase, but I must decrease. He said, you know, uh, kind of like at a wedding. By the way, I've officiated hundreds of weddings. Maybe, maybe 500, over 500 weddings. I have never been the best man at a wedding. I've been the preacher, and I've been the groom, but I've never been the best man at a wedding. So uh, I don't guess I ever will be, because anytime I get invited to a wedding, it's to perform the wedding. So I'm not going to get to be ever the best man at a wedding. But John the Baptist says, you know, here's the comparison. The groom is the one that is honored. The best man is. He is just proud to be there. He's just honored and thankful that he can be a part of the wedding and especially such a significant part. And he said, that's the way I see myself. He said, Jesus is the bridegroom. I am just the voice of one crying in the wilderness saying, make way for the Lamb of God. And so he says, you're not going to create any competition between me and Jesus. And I think they were really trying to do that. Uh, I'll just say that, you know, it's possible for ministers to be jealous of other ministries and other ministers. 
I think that's a sad thing. Because like, like John says, nobody can, can have anything except what God gives them to have. And you know, there are faithful pastors serving in small, remote places, maybe up in the hills of Tennessee or Kentucky or maybe in, in some backwoods area, and you'll never hear their name. You'll never know who they are. They're, they'll never have any recognition. And yet, God looks at many of them and says, Well done, good and faithful servant. And they are just laborers in the field doing what God called them to do where God called them to do it. And there are other churches, there are other pastors who have great name recognition. Almost everybody would know their name. And, and they pastor huge churches. And how foolish it would be for one pastor to be jealous or feel like he's in competition with some other pastor. I mean, we are laborers together in God's field. And we, we should pray for one another. Somebody asked me recently, uh, said, what do you think about another church going in right next door to your church over here? And I said, well, I say praise God for that. I said, I'm so thankful. In fact, I've met the pastor over there, and I've prayed with him, and I love that man. And I, I, I just pray that God will bless them with much increase because they will reach some people that we would never reach. And we will reach some people that they would never reach. I tell you, I've even thought about asking their pastor for me and them to switch pulpits one Sunday. Let him come over here and preach. Y'all hear a good sermon and let me go over there and inflict myself on them for once. I don't know whether he'd do that or not. But, uh, uh, but I just, I want him to know. And I've told him and assured him. Man, I am praying for the increase of your ministry. So I said, yeah, but what if they started having uh, a thousand people? I'd say, hallelujah. That's great. Praise God for that. I said, yeah, but what if half your congregation went over there? Well, that's a little different, you know, so <laughs> that better not happen. But, uh, but I, I think as, as pastors, as Christians, we ought to always realize that we have such a significant role to play, and nobody, we may never be famous. We may never be known. As a matter of fact, uh, not many people know the name of Edward Kimball. You ever hear of Edward Kimball? Edward Kimball was not a preacher. He was a Sunday school teacher, and he went, and led a little 10 or 12-year-old boy to Jesus one day, and that boy's name was Dwight L. Moody. Edward Kimball led Dwight L. Moody to Jesus. Dwight L. Moody became one of the great evangelists of his day. And Dwight L. Moody was preaching one crusade, and a man named J. Wilbur Chapman came to Christ through the preaching of Dwight L. Moody. And J. Wilbur Chapman was holding an evangelistic meeting in another place years later, 
and a young preacher named Billy Sunday was converted. Billy Sunday was a baseball player, and he became one of the most flamboyant preachers. In fact, up until a few years ago, Billy Sunday preached to more people than any other preacher on the planet. Now, that changed later, but... And so Billy Sunday was preaching a revival meeting, and a, a man named Mordecai Ham was converted. You might, might not have heard of Mordecai Ham, but Mordecai Ham, then he was preaching a revival meeting or an evangelistic meeting, uh, and a man named Billy Graham was converted. It's, it's just interesting. It went from Edward Kimball to Dwight L. Moody, Dwight L. Moody, to, to J. Wilbur Chapman, J. Wilbur Chapman, to Billy Sunday, Billy Sunday, to Mordecai Ham, Mordecai Ham, to Billy Graham, and then Billy Graham's ministry has been where he probably has preached to more people than any other preacher in, uh, in Christian history, especially through television, radio, tapes, and things like that. And... Hundreds of young preachers were saved in the ministries of Billy Graham. Isn't that something? But it, it started with a Sunday school teacher leading a young boy in his Sunday school class to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So you know, my point here is that God has you where you are for the purpose of glorifying and serving him and sharing Jesus with whoever you can share Jesus with. Isn't that amazing? So, uh, John, Second John here. Where, where, where do you work? Okay. And uh, I guess you get to talk to lots of people during the week, probably, don't you? And you just think about it. In some of your communication, you might be able to lead somebody to Jesus, and nobody may ever know your name, and you may not ever even, nobody might not ever even know that you led that person to Jesus. And yet that person might become an evangelist and may reach a nation or might become a missionary and reach a nation or reach multitudes for Christ. And God never expects you to do what he hasn't called you to do. But he does want you to do what you can do for him. That just make a lot of sense. And see, John the Baptist said, hey, I understand that. I had a role to play, but my role now is done. In fact, not long after this, John was arrested and beheaded. And you say, well, his ministry was over. But no, his ministry wasn't over because he had pointed people to Jesus. He had prepared the way for the Messiah. So... Don't ever feel like that you should be or in any way ought to be in competition with anybody else. Just be faithful where you are.
And uh, I just, I often think about this at night when I'm going to bed and praying for people. I think, you know, there are probably widow women, maybe even in nursing homes, who are faithfully, earnestly praying for pastors and for missionaries. And if the truth were known, her prayers may actually be what God is honoring to bless the ministry of some pastor, and he may get the recognition. Amen. And people might say, wow, what a great preacher. What a, uh, in fact, it was, uh, it was either Dwight L. Moody or Charles Spurs. I can't remember which one. They were asked, could we see the power plant of your church? And he took them down to a room, and there were a hundred people there on their knees praying for the service. He said, this is the power plant of our church. He said, I preach, and people see me and hear me, and they think that I am bringing all these people to Jesus. But he said, that's not true. He said, the power are these unnamed people on their knees crying out to God for souls. And it's going to be pretty amazing, I think, when we all stand at the judgment seat of Christ and rewards are given out. We may think that this person's going to get a huge reward because he was a famous preacher or a famous person. He may not get as big a reward. And there may be some little widow that receives a huge reward. And you think, well, I never even heard her name. And Jesus said, no, but I heard her prayers. Does that make sense? So serve where God has you. And that's what John the Baptist was doing. Uh, and then he, he I'm just going to, we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper here in a minute. So let me just at least read the rest of this chapter to you. And beginning in verse 30, I mean, he said in verse 30, he must increase and I must decrease. You know, that's just a good good verse for all of us, isn't it? That is the, that is the uh, should be the watchword of every Christian. I want to become less and less so that he can become more and more. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth, and he speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He's contrasting himself to himself and Jesus. He said, I, I'm earthly, he's heavenly. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever does receive his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. In other words, he said Jesus was totally filled with, controlled by the Spirit, and what he spoke were the true words of God. And then he says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son, and remember this is the word, believe, 
It's used 90-something times, 100 times in the Gospel of John alone. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So here's the choice we have. When we hear the teachings of Jesus and the message of Jesus, we have a choice. We either believe or we disbelieve. Now, I know somebody said, well, it does, whoever does not obey the Son, does that mean that there's a difference in believing and obeying? No, because when Jesus was asked, what is, it, what is the will of God? What, what, what does it mean to obey? He said, to believe in the one who sent. That's, that's God's will. So faith is the key. What do you believe? Who do you believe in? Who do you trust for forgiveness, for life, and for eternity? Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever does not shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on them. So I would just, before we take the Lord's Supper here in just a few minutes, I just would appeal to you put your trust totally and only in Jesus Christ grace alone by faith alone in Christ alone for the glory of God alone let's pray heavenly father thank you so much for the ministry of John the Baptist and for the heart the attitude the spirit of John the Baptist who is not in competition, doesn't feel any sense of jealousy or envy, but just wants to be faithful. And I pray that you will help each of us. And Father, I know that in a church, uh, the people who are standing up front many times are thought of as the maybe important, more important people. And that's just so wrong. It's just so wrong. I have no greater importance or significance than anybody else and every member of the church every person in the body of Christ has a, a role to play a position to fill and a responsibility to perform and I pray that you will help us to do what you've called us to do and to do it with joy and I pray it in Jesus name Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.